What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the ND Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these ND Hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. I'm here with uh, Peter Levels. He's a man who needs very little introduction, but I'll do one anyway. You're the founder of Nomad List, sort of the hub for digital nomads. You're the founder of Remote OK, the biggest remote job board in the world. And uh, you're you know, probably the primary inspiration for ND Hackers itself. And I think it's been like four years now. Yeah, it's been four yeah. years since you've been on the show. So this is your second time. How's it going? I'm great, man. So nice to see you again. It feels like a century. It feels like we spoke last uh, like 100 years ago. Yeah, it's great <laughs> to see you, man. I heard you've been you've been living on an offline life uh, recently, so that's really nice to hear. I've been super chill. I've been much less of a workaholic than I've ever been in my entire life, and it's honestly it's like disorienting because like what do yeah. I do with myself? Like what do I do? And like it's hard to like find hobbies and stuff because like they sometimes don't feel like as meaningful as like doing like a crazy all in startup or being super passionate. I'm like I guess I'm gonna collect a lot of plants and like water them, but I'm like this feels pointless. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I'll get back into it. Oh, so nice. Yeah. I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. Yeah. I've been trying to slow down as well, uh, repeatedly over the last few years, but I don't know, man, it goes in cycles, right? Like you, uh, yeah, you go in these work times and then you, you feel like burned out. You're like, Oh my God, I work too much. And then you want to relax, but then you get bored because you've done Mm -hmm. real life and real life also gets boring after a while. (laughs) So it's like this endless dance, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just switch from one to the other. Although you're like, I don't view you as like a, cyclic person because it's like what were you we talking about last week you're like oh i've i've realized that i've shipped for a thousand days straight on yeah. uh, work in progress the community so it's like literally not a single day in the last thousand days yeah. have you missed yeah <laughs> and that's like that's real consistency you know yeah i feel like i've had that for like maybe 34 years <laughs> i've read that from probably like age eight to age 34 and then just like wait from age eight to age 34 you've been working non-stop basically wow, aj no was like way. i want to go to i want to get an mit and then it was yeah. like work super hard a brief stint where i was like i want to become a professional starcraft player and then i realized like i wasn't wow. as good as all the koreans and then back to just working <laughs> yeah. and then graduating college startup grind and then eventually indie hackers and grinding on that and then like yeah you know, six months ago was the first time like what if i just chilled out yeah i i think i'm exactly the same actually yeah it's something like from like seven or eight yeah like you want to that's already when the ambition started for us, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of like, what's the meaning of all of it, right? Like, are you are you driven by, like, some outcome that you're trying to achieve by being so ambitious? Or is this, like, a, a thing that you just have to do for its own sake? You know, like, even if you weren't making any money or you weren't becoming famous. Because, like, you have so many projects that are so successful that make millions of dollars. Yeah. That you have tons of fans. You're tweeting constantly. Like, is that the point? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And I think we're in a very similar situation um, where you probably don't do it as much for the money anymore because you probably we're quite financially stable and you generally want to do it for uh because you like the process you like to do something with your day like you like to wake up for something and you like to have this daily challenge where like something doesn't work and and or there's like a competitor who's trying to take over who's getting better than you you want you know you want to have a, a goal in each day that and that goal can span for weeks and months right but you want to have something you're working towards to and and i, I feel like I've spoken to a lot of people that are also that are not in startups and, and don't have their own business and stuff. And a lot of them are really happy. Uh, some of them tell me that they miss that kind of that thing we have, like this meaningful like pursuit. This probably unhealthy. It's not completely healthy. I think it's a mentally unhealthy pursuit because a lot of people want to do it, right? They want to get into business or startups, but it's really mentally taxing, I think. And you need to be a little bit of a it's an obsession for it. Like, I mean, if you want to win, you need to be obsessed. Like look at Elon Musk, right? He's completely obsessed. He, yeah. he can barely keep relationships going. So it's, it's not that really mentally stable, but like, uh, it does give you, it give you some kind of like meaningful, uh, thing that's different than like watching Netflix, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think like meaning often comes from doing things that are hard. Like if you're doing something that's entirely hedonistic, and it just feels good the whole time, it's hard to ascribe it meaning, even if it's like helpful. But when there's yeah. like a part of it that's like a little bit self-sacrificial and 
you know it would be easier to do something else and that you're still doing this. I think it forces you to dig and like try to find some deeper reason why you're doing this thing that's hard. And that's often like where you discover meaning. Yeah, and the, and the hedonistic aspects like foods or sex or whatever, uh, they're, they all, you adapt to them really fast, right? Yeah. Like if you don't have them, yeah, you want true. them, you're hungry. If you have them, you're like, okay, this was nice. And then you open your laptop again. And you're like, let's let's go make something, right? Or uh, I don't know, if you're a painter, you start painting. So I, I think because of the, the frame of the problem keeps changing and it's like perpetual, it never bores generally because right. the problem never ends, which is also the tiring part of it. You're like, you know, when is this business going to end? Like, when is it? When I do, I reach the goal. <laughs> Because, you know, musicians, they, they always finish an album and then they're done. They can do the tour and they're done. And it feels really mm -hmm. nice. Like, I, I used to do that. And with a, with a startup, with business, you, you keep going. Like, when does it end? And when you sell, right? When you exit. But Well, you've done, like, what? Like, I think you had another tweet where you're talking about, like, how many projects that you shipped. And you said that. Yeah, I calculated. It was, like, 70 or something. Yeah, more than 70 projects. You said... Only four out of 70 plus projects that you ever did made any money and grew, which means that you have something like a 95% failure rate and a hit rate yeah, of only about like 5%, <laughs> right. which is crazy. I mean, like in a way, yeah, like how much of your success with all the projects do you think comes from like just being this relentless shipper, which almost no one is, like no, almost no one has like 70 projects they've really tried to ship. Um, and how much of it comes from being like a strategic mastermind, you know, having the right business strategy? Because you have a pretty like solid business background and education too. Well, this is obviously biased, but I do get tired from the, it's like the current side guys in America where it's like, everything is luck. If you're successful, it's luck. It's completely your upbringing and your background. And I do think that's a part of it. It's like definitely like some percentage, like maybe 40 or 50 or something. But what you see from this example, when you need to keep trying for loads of times, like 70 times or more, hundred times, and you might get a few successes. And if you try once, it's not probably not going to work because you the odds are not there. And I mean, I'm not a mathematician or a statistician, but I do believe that if you keep trying something, you can somehow you don't change the odds, but you keep playing the odds. And there must be a statistical fallacy in this, but I do think your rate of maybe getting success gets uh, higher. I think when you keep trying. Yeah, and I think so yeah. too. Because I mean, you're building skills and stuff. It's like it's not like you're just rolling the same set of dice. It's like you're rolling the same That's set too, of dice. Yeah. Now, That's like, it. You're a little bit better at like where you like figure out yes. the physics of the dice because you've failed a bunch of startups. So you're like, okay, don't do that mistake again. Or I really don't like these types of projects. That's exactly that solves the statistical problem I had. Like, if you increase the skills, your the odds next time will be better, and uh, and that builds up and it adds up. And and also, I guess network, right? Like, I don't have a network. You uh, you probably have more network than me. I'm just on Twitter mostly because I'm like fully remote around the world and stuff. So you also increase the people you know and like you get more known so you can you know tweet about stuff and then people dm you like oh we'd love to as a company we'd love to use your product or something that also helps yep. right yeah you just keep occurring advantages and so i guess maybe the like the thing to do is to try to figure out how to put yourself in a position where you can do 70 plus projects because yeah. <laughs> i don't think everyone can do that like maybe they don't have the motivation or they don't have like the financial like sort of freedom and independence to do that but like yeah, yeah, yeah if yeah. you can keep doing that eventually you will have one or two wins yeah I think if you're in university, that's like, that was for me the main time where I did like so many projects. And that was a great time because in Holland, you get like $250 a month for free from the from the government back then. I think like they call it study financing and you don't have to pay it back. And you can borrow some money from the government too for really low rates. And, uh, and you're pretty much just doing lectures, right? You're going to university. And all the time you have, apart from that, I think it's the same in American college, like you can work on, you know, side projects. I think I probably spent my college years partying mostly the first couple of years and yeah, the second me too, years yeah. just like i'm gonna do i'm gonna do startups <laughs> and just like trying yeah. to do random startup stuff because you have too, so much it was time. a big mix yeah 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 you have yeah. so much time it's like and like that's the perfect time to, to to start a lot of stuff and uh you mentioned this like this sort of like pervasive attitude and um i think maybe it's just the united states i don't know because i haven't traveled in years uh where it's kind of like everything you do is luck right and no matter what yeah. you do you can't be proud of what you've done because you know, it was only a result of your privilege or upbringing, your parents' money mm. or whatever. And, like, that is kind of, like, a demotivating – like, I don't really like that perspective because, like, even if it – let's just say, hypothetically speaking, it's true. Like, what's the result of saying that, right? It doesn't necessarily motivate anyone to work any harder. It just motivates everyone yeah. to just give up, I think. It's, like, kind of like a – 100%. Yeah. It increases bitterness, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it increases bitterness. Maybe it increases compassion, I think is like kind of the idea, like the yeah, good true. thing about it. But it decreases, like, I think, motivation because it's like, well, if you weren't born into a good circumstance, you're fucked. You might as well give up. Yeah. And if you were, you have no reason to push hard and work on anything because, you you know, you can't be proud of yeah, it. Yeah, 100%. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's hard for people to hold, like, two ideas in mind. And it's like the two ideas I think you want to hold in mind is, like, having compassion for people who came from backgrounds where it's just harder to succeed. But simultaneously yeah. having, like, optimism that, like, you still can make it, you know, like that optimism is pretty important. Because without it, yeah. like you're saying, like, what is literally, why would you even try if you didn't think it was possible? Like, you need some degree yeah. of optimism. And, like, sometimes I feel like that's missing, you know? Yeah, I think it's missing in, in, in a lot of parts in America. I think where you see it is in Asia, though. In, in Asia, like, where I spend a lot of my time, it's the ambition is insane. And Asia has all of its own problems, for sure. But there's this massive ambition to get ahead, get wealthy, get successful, that you don't see in... In America, especially, I think, lesser and lesser so. And we should kind of not go into politics too much, but look at all the hate Elon Musk gets. I think it's 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 quite crazy because he wants to bring us to Mars and works his ass off to do this. And uh, yeah, he's the richest guy on Earth, but he doesn't even spend his money. He doesn't spend it on like, a lavish life. He just sleeps in the factory. And he does so much stuff. Obviously, there's some bad things probably in the factory. I don't, I don't know, but... This seems like a net benefit guy to society and gets a lot of slack for just getting us to Mars. So I think that's kind of another strange, you know, data point. Do you feel like you get that kind of reaction from people? I mean, you're like, you're way more active on Twitter than I am. Like you're tweeting about everything that you're doing. And so you got a lot of fans and like people who follow like what you're up to, like you publish your revenue numbers or stuff. So people know exactly how much money you make. Like it's easy to put you like in this rich guy category. Do you get like, Mm. you know, obviously like on a smaller scale, but like the same kind of criticisms that someone like Elon Musk gets? Yeah, I, I think I, I had it a few years ago. I started aggressively muting people and I had this robot, which yeah. if I mute a person, they would also remove them as a follower. So they would be like shouting into the void and and they would obviously be monitoring what I tweet because they followed me, but then they wouldn't notice that it automatically removed them as a follower. So I slowly like <laughs> removed hundreds of these people. And I honestly, I don't really get right. that anymore. I hardly get, and it's, it's really cleaned up everything. It really helped. And uh, I don't want to block. Yeah. I don't like blocking so much. I, I mean, obviously I've blocked in the past, but generally right. the replies I get are quite positive these days. So it really got a lot better. I don't know if it just got better for me or for everybody, but. Yeah. It's funny. Cause it's like when you block people or you're like removing people, it's like, you're kind of creating your own echo chamber, which is a hundred percent. Yeah. Quote unquote, bad <laughs> thing with the internet. Like yeah. you don't want to create an echo. You want a variety of opinions, but it's like, well, how big of a variety do you want? Like, do you yeah. want to sign <laughs> yeah. on every day and see a bunch of haters? <laughs> like not really. If people are hostile, like it, it can really get to you. You know that like, uh, the, you always remember the hateful comments and, and you, you can have 99 good comments and you always remember the hater. So it's, it can be psychologically taxing if you're working really hard on something and, and you just get all these negative comments. So I agree, but there's an echo bubble though, but I don't mute, like I try to not mute, you know, just negative uh, replies. I try to mute like really like the, the, the hater kind of comments, right? There's another like topic that I think is interesting, essentially because you're like, you know, you're Peter Levels, you travel all over, you're, like, you're, you're, like kind of your finger on the pulse of like what's going on internationally. Like, I have no idea, like, how ambitious are people in Asia compared to how people are in Europe or... Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea, you know. I'm just, like, kind of stuck in my bubble. Uh, so, like, you're living in... what You're in Thailand right now. Like, what do you see in Thailand? You know, like, what motivated you to move to Thailand? And you're also doing this new project, Rebase, that I sort of intentionally tried to learn very little about so I can learn about it from you. <laughs> yeah. So, I live... I actually live in Portugal now. So, uh, during COVID happened. I mean, COVID is, fuck, is absolutely terrible. Uh, two years ago... I was in Asia too, and with you know Andre, who you also had on the podcast, uh, Mark, you know Mark from Betalist and stuff. And COVID started happening in Asia, so I flew back to Holland. I stayed with my parents for like a few, I think five months or something. And then I started traveling again with Mark because uh, we were not uh, tax residents in Holland anymore. We we're not residents anymore. So if we stayed over six months, we'd become a tax resident. We didn't want to do that. So we had to leave. So we went on a road trip through Europe. And we ended up in Portugal and it was very, very like I'd never been in Portugal. I'd heard kind of Portugal, like, you know, about you know, if you're European, you know about Spain and Italy and stuff, but you don't really hear about Portugal. It's like a small country next to Spain. You know, it was COVID, so you couldn't really do a lot of stuff. So we, we ended up in like a seaside village near Lisbon, which is the capital. And we lived there and every day we'd go for walks. 
on the beach um, and, you know, we'd have some coffee and we just kind of work from there. And I started also meeting other like nomad people kind of from Bali who'd also moved to Portugal and stuff. And I started saying, oh, this is like a kind of like a thing that's happening because of COVID. Asia is closed now. Right. So a lot of people are moving who would go to Bali in the winter and stuff are now going to Portugal and stuff and Spain and Mexico. And a lot of Americans would also go to Mexico, for example. So anyway, I'm in Portugal and I'm meeting all these people and they're all saying like, yeah, we're also becoming residents here. I'm like, what, why would you become a resident here? They're like, well, because we're nomads. So we we have this problem. Where do we pay tax? Because we're always moving from place to place and we're never a resident anywhere. And like, you know, it's very difficult. So these people were becoming residents in Portugal. They were becoming real like Portuguese residents and setting up their base kind of and, and paying tax and becoming part of, you know, Portugal culture because there was not much you could do with COVID. You could still you cannot really travel much, especially not not to Asia. Asia is still kind of closed. So I tried to I tried the same thing. I became a Portuguese resident, uh, and now I live there and uh, I rent my own place in Lisbon. I have a lot of friends there, and since I've been there, like it's been exploding uh, like crazy. It's uh, it's very often like number one on the nomad list. I didn't change anything. It's just what it is. It's a lot of people are going there. <laughs> So as a Portuguese resident, do you, do you just don't pay, you don't pay any taxes to like, like you're Dutch, so you're not paying any taxes to the Netherlands. I mean, European governments, Western European governments are very strict. So if you, if you want to not, if you want to leave your country, you really need to leave and stay away. Uh, you know, America's just as strict. America's more strict even with the international tax stuff. But if you say like, okay, I'm going to nomad, your home country is always going to tax you. And unless you say like, okay, don't live in my home country anymore. I'm going to live somewhere else. So yeah, it's, Portugal is a great base for that. And, and, a lot of nomads have been doing that. So yeah, I built a website about that, which is called rebase.co, rebase.co, which is um, the first, it's kind of inspired by Stripe Atlas. I mean, you kind of work for Stripe, so you know Atlas very well. Uh, Stripe Atlas is like a service to create a company online really easily. So they kind of make the whole process of uh, creating a company much more easy with lawyers and stuff. And I did the same thing, but for immigration. So. I smoothed out the whole immigration process to move to Portugal, showing all the benefits of Portugal. And uh, yeah, that's been taken off now as well. So, Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me the way that you work on projects. Like you're talking about uh, musicians that like, you know, put out an album and it's like this very final thing. And now they're done with it yeah. and they can just sort of like go on tour. And like with me and Indie Hackers, for example, like I've never had anything like that. Like I've just continued to work on Indie Hackers as this monolithic thing. Yes. But you have like all these different projects. Like you have Nomad List. I think it's like ADHD maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like you're like, okay, done with that. On to the next thing. So you get some of that like that hit of like I finished maybe. But like are you, are you yes. ever really finished? Like could you work Rebase into Nomad List? You know, they're so related. They're both about digital nomads. Like why make a separate project? Why not just be like, okay, here's another branch of Nomad List? Honestly, I think these separate projects, they launch better, right? Because if you make a sub page on Indie Hackers or Nomad List, people are like, ah, you made a sub page, but it's not really, it's not really a new business, huh? But if you call it a new business with a new domain name and a new landing page, people are like, wow, this is like this new, Look at this new I thing. mean, that's also marketing, right? And you can always integrate it later. So I think it's kind of like a trick, but I think this is a, it's the same for Remote K. Remote K started as a page on Nomad List, like Nomad Jobs. But then I realized like 90% of remote work jobs are not nomads. They're like people that just like stay at home moms or stay at home dads. They're, they just want to have a work from home job. Right. So I split it off into its own website. And I think here it is, it's the same case because this seems to be targeted at people that are kind of at the end of their nomad journey. Like they've been around the world for like a few years and they're like, okay, this is unsustainable <laughs> or at yeah. least this is unsustainable in a, in a, in a legal way, in a tax way. And, I want to build up a little bit of a base so I can still travel, but I have this Portugal thing and I live here and I get like healthcare, for example, from Portuguese government and I pay tax and yeah. And I think that's kind of what it is. Yeah. I'm reading through the list because you have a, a list of like benefits for why people live in Portugal. Like the first yeah. one is the McDonald's in Portugal has the Royal Deluxe <laughs> and the big taste of <laughs> double. <laughs> I put that in as a joke, but then I accidentally deployed it to GitHub. So and now it's on there. Zero <laughs> percent tax on foreign income. Zero percent tax on crypto. Zero percent tax on wealth. So this is all like very attractive for like entrepreneurs who are like, okay, I'm trying yeah. to like make money and build something. Like this seems pretty, like a pretty good place to go. Yeah, and I think it's to Americans. It's very similar to like like the climate is very similar to California, 
but it's also very similar to like Miami and Austin, how they're mm. attracting people from California right now. It's very the right. same concept. Like Portugal is attracting people, like also Americans, but also like you know Dutch people, Germans, UK, Denmark, Sweden, those kind of people where it's it's colder temperature, you know, and Portugal is warmer, and they have these benefits, and yeah, and they need right. foreigners, you know, they need they need this yeah. this income. Another part of your website, you talk about how Portugal so Portugal is still recovering from the 2008 financial crisis and ex- experiencing a massive brain drain. And in 2021, they had the largest population decrease in the last 50 years. And so they're sort of in dire need of foreigners. And I've seen like the same thing in like certain cities in America. Just like I, I did this road trip last year, I guess a year and a half ago, where I was just driving around. And like whenever I wasn't in like a really big city center and I would talk to people, it was like pretty obvious, like, oh, there's a lot of brain drain. You know, like the most, the most talented ambitious people just left you know they didn't stay here and a lot of times the places were really nice you know they were beautiful the food was good the weather was good but like in terms of like if you wanted to be you know a nomad or so you wanted to be surrounded by this kind of energy of other ambitious people like that wasn't there for you so there's no reason to go and it seems like portugal's got like the best of both it's like beautiful but despite the brain drain like for some reason you got all these people sort of collapsing and coalescing in this one place yeah, but you hit the nail on the head. This is not just, like it's 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 loads of places that can do this. Like US is super ahead with remote work; they were before, and they're ahead with this migration also. Because you see, for example, in America, in US ski resorts, uh, snow resorts are sold out everywhere, off season now. Like Pat Walsh told me this because his I think his friends work at a ski resort, and people are moving into ski resorts just to snowboard all day and work remotely. You know, they, they work a little bit, they have breakfast, and then they, they go ski. And it's it's amazing. You see people move to, like, I think Tulsa, Oklahoma. They pay $10,000 now for you to move there. So cities are trying to attract people. Countries are trying to attract people, uh, remote workers. Balaji on Twitter, I don't know if you know him. Probably you know him, very famous yeah. on Twitter. He talks a lot about, like, the network state and the nation state. He talks about it in a very, very rational way. I, I'm a big fan, and I like that. Um, I see it more in a like more like informal way, like people just want to live in cool places where they have a nice balance between work and uh, private, you know, just like going outside, going for a walk in nice clean air on the beach, for example, if that's your thing or going skiing or whatever, if that's your thing. And the, all the places you saw on this road trip, well, a lot of them can can do this because if they have fast internet, if they, they, they're usually very affordable because there has been a brain drain, right? There's been... Uh, yeah. exodus of people so yeah all these places have opportunities to attract remote workers I think so do you think this will be like you know you're doing the same with like rebase I mean like I guess your sort of business model is like you're charging people to like basically help onboard them to set up their residency and to help yeah. them file their tax return they're kind of just like doing like like you know you have no idea how to be a digital nomad we're just gonna do it for you <laughs> all the paper yeah, and yeah. stuff yeah do you want to like yeah. copy paste that to other places too yeah, so I've been polling Twitter because um, Twitter is really good for for research now, and I've been asking like, where do you where do you people want to move next? Like, what's interesting for you? And people say like Dubai or Spain, Mexico. Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly Mexico, Dubai, Spain. I think. I mean Thailand, Bali, but I think the problem with, with the place in Asia for Europeans and Americans is just too far, especially for Americans. Asia is just too far to settle down for a long time. Maybe when you're retired or something, but. Americans are okay with settling down somewhat in Mexico, I think. And and maybe some other parts of Latin America, like Colombia, Medellin, for example. And maybe you also see a lot of Americans in Portugal. You see a lot of Europeans in, in Portugal and Spain and stuff. So those are kind of places that seem more realistic. And like, I love Thailand. I love Asia. The, the problem is it's, it's still hard to kind of integrate or what do you call it, assimilate here as a foreigner on the long term. It's just, it's very difficult. How's it, how's it like on the ground in Portugal right now with like lots of different sort of entrepreneurs and nomads moving there? Like, are you hanging out with them? Are you guys working yeah, in co-working yeah. spaces? Is like, is it social? Yeah. I mean, Lisbon is super social. It's so social that you, you walk on the street, you go for coffee and somebody shouts like, hey, Peter. And, and then you walk there and you're like, hey, how are you? And that's how I met some people. And then I, at the same night, we went to a, a house party outside on the uh-huh. roof. So it was COVID safe kind of. Yeah. But yeah, it's, so, it's super easy to meet people. It's kind of like the people like we know, you know, kind of tech people, but also artists. You you now have the crypto people moving in from Web3 and stuff. Like there was a big crypto conference, I think, recently. So it's a really eclectic mix of like artists, entrepreneurs, 
crypto tech variant thing makes like really really kind of like a 1920 paris i think people sometimes yeah compare these places to like this the sorbonne and the 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 cafes where people would would uh, right. talk of artists and stuff and yeah i'm looking at your like this like you've got this sort of moving picture of portugal too like like kind of a mini looping video <laughs> in the top left of rebase and it's yeah. like beautiful it looks kind of like the bay area almost like this like beautiful bay and this like red bridge Dude, it looks like san and, francisco like, it has the same bridge right yeah i'm like is that is that is that the golden gate bridge like no it's like the yes it's insane it has that? the same bridge it has the same trams like the, the, the it's insane it has the same hills it's literally san francisco in europe it's insane <laughs> It's smart for you to put it's, that image there. It reminds me of like uh, one of the reasons why Airbnb, like you know, they sort of figured out early on that like the pictures are so motivating. You see this like really beautiful yeah. place. You're like, ah, oh, shit, I gotta go. I'm looking at this. I'm like, I yeah, need you to want go, to get the I need vibe. to go to Portugal. <laughs> yeah, just because of this like picture. It's like it looks gorgeous. Yeah, I'm adding music next to the video, so that's gonna increase. <laughs> Actually, I, I have data on this because I, I launched Rebase as a Typeform just to test like a year ago, mm-hmm. and I love Typeform. There's nothing against Typeform, but it was kind of like a black uh, color type form with white letters. Like, do you want to move to Portugal or something? And then you could fill out the text. And it didn't really work. There wasn't many signups. So I think you need this whole designy vibe. It's it's quite an intense. Somebody told me it's quite an intense step right. to move to a country. You want that to be yeah. kind of comfortable. And, you know, you're not going to do right. it in a type form. So, yeah. It's like if you if you have a fancy restaurant, you got to have clean floors, a good storefront. Yeah. Otherwise, people don't trust yeah. your kitchen. You know, if you're doing some sort of a crypto project and it's an exclusive, you know, yeah. Discord or DAO or something. Dude, yeah, you know, letters gradients, with gradients. You want, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be sleek and cool, maybe like a dark background, maybe a little cryptic. Yes. If you're trying to get somebody to like move somewhere or stay in a place, it needs to be like bright and look really happy and clean. And I'm not very good at design, so it's like that's i start very functional so <laughs> so it took me a while to get to this point yeah so you said like rebase went viral on twitter give me like give me like the yeah. sort of i guess indie hacker like breakdown of like okay how did you come up with the idea how did you like launch it how did you like grow it to where it is now yeah so i made this uh i was working on this landing page and of course like true fashion it wasn't done of course but it was already online and it already kind of worked so um, I made a photo of me sitting on my bed, uh, working on it with my laptop, like just like I'm sitting here in bed with my laptop and Rebase being open. And then I, I wrote the tweet like POV, building an immigration as a service startup. And then everybody started retweeting it and they asked the URL and I gave the URL and then everybody started signing up. And then s- suddenly I had like a <laughs> thousand retweets on some other retweet and wow. it was everywhere. And then you know that point, you probably had the same with Indie Hackers, like where your friends start sending that their friends sent something that you made. Mm-hmm. And then you know it's viral, you know? And I had that. And I, the last time I had that was with Nomad List, and it was eight years ago or something. So it's like, wow, it took wow. eight years to go viral with a startup again, you know? That's crazy. I didn't realize so, it was like that big. Like, you talk about like having like these 70 plus startups that you started, and like four of them have succeeded. Like, Rebase is really like a standout yeah. among those 70. It's the biggest since Nomad List. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of those four, yeah. So it took it took like ages to make something again that's like successful and like making money. So I've been building so much stuff between that that didn't work. So it's it feels yeah. like, you know, you want to have, you, you have like, uh, you still got it, you know, that feeling. Like, come on, I'm going to show them <laughs> I still got it. So, because <laughs> yeah. everybody's saying, oh, you just, you made a project once, it was successful, it's been eight years ago. Like, go away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Feels nice. Okay, so you tweet it. It just goes viral. Like, that's it. You just had to tweet it. And, like, it was the right product to the right audience. And Yeah, but I tweet like... loads of stuff that doesn't go viral. Like, I, I tweet mm. all the time and it doesn't go viral. So, it's I cannot predict what works and what doesn't. So, again, it's the odds thing, right? It's like, I yeah. didn't know this was such a thing. It, it hit like a vein. It's like a consistent thing you've always done. Because like, even when you were first starting, like you did that blog post, 12 startups in 12 months. And your whole philosophy was yeah. like, I'm just going to do a lot of stuff, you know, and I'm not going to 100% count on any one thing working. But if I try a lot of stuff, you know, maybe one thing will work. And like here you are 10 years later, same thing, you know, like no matter what it is, you're still on Twitter. You're promoting it to your audience. You're super hyped <laughs> about it. <laughs> if it fails, you just seem to not care. <laughs> you just move on to the next thing. I know, it sounds so weird. Yeah, spray and pray, right? 
Like I don't I don't see people on your Twitter like, hey, what happened to that one thing you start? What happened to like well, make chat? People just what forget. To that chat people thing? just forget. Yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. just forgets about your failures or whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, unless you post about it, then yeah. But I don't think it's the only like this is a problem. People start thinking what you do or what you say is like the only way. I don't think it's the only way. Like you see so many other people do the Slack founder, like Butter uh, Stuart Butterfield or something. Stuart Butterfield. He, yeah, he made Slack he made Slack and then before he made Flickr. I don't think he made that many projects. He made two games or something, and both games became a startup. Like Flickr was a video game and became Flickr, and then Slack was a video game uh, as well, became Slack. So I don't think everybody does the same thing. I think it works for me. I think one of the reasons that you're so popular is because you're like crazy, like vulnerable and like transparent. You just share everything. But also like what you're doing right now, you're just like excessively humble. (laughs) You're like oh i'm like you know i'm not <laughs> that great blah, blah 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 and it's like really inspiring you know like it's like when i was first started reading your stuff i'm like okay if peter can do it like i can do because <laughs> you're so <laughs> humble about all this stuff and like i know behind the scenes like you are really thoughtful i don't know whatever but i think like you know for someone who's just getting started like the approach that you've taken of like try a lot of stuff be okay with the fact that like some of it's not going to work out a lot of it's not going to work out but like keep trying to let that discourage you um and like, hey, you don't have to be like some sort of mad scientist genius, you know? Like, to, I think that's just like probably the most approachable thing for most people. And I think that's why it's like really inspirational. I have to be like that because when I started, it was I was looking up to all these people and they looked like gods to me. Like they knew everything and they, they could make these websites and these startups and these building teams and like hiring people and raising money and all this stuff seemed like magic to me and I, I was like I can never ever get to that skill level ever I I barely can code I barely I didn't know how databases work and stuff so so I, I think you, you need to I think the, the nicest thing to do is to show that you're that I still don't really know what I'm doing because it makes it accessible like you say and it brings more people into it because the the, the worst thing I I see with developers and especially developers engineers is the gatekeeping right like where it's like oh you need to uh do you need to code things in a certain way and you need to do this in a certain way or you know but there is no certain way of course you can just do whatever you want as long as it's legal <laughs> and uh you can ship a startup and 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 the cool the, the most cool thing in create creative creativity like new projects are built with these weird creative constraints where because you don't know how to do things properly you do it completely wrong but it still kind of works and it ends up very different because the processes are different. And that's, you see it in art, you see it in music, everything. You see it in startups too, where uh, your design might be really bad, but that might become aesthetic, you know, like brutalist or something, right? Right, right. Yeah. Like you've got your own very unique design where you're like, okay, I'm not going to do a bunch of images and stuff, but like, I really like emojis. <laughs> and so your design yeah, yeah, has yeah. lots of emojis in it. And it's like very distinctly Peter Levels. Yeah, but it's because I'm I'm too lazy to 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 figure out icon sets how they work, so I just use emojis, you know. <laughs> exactly, and now like a lot of people copy you, but when I see that, I'm like, oh, they're biting off like Peter Level's style because like you were the first person I saw who did this. So you have this other stat on your rebase site. You say rebase now helps. And this is nuts. Rebase now helps nine percent of all people who move to Portugal. So every year, sixty-four yeah, thousand people move to Portugal. That's like the most ridiculous that I've ever seen. Like you're like a major part of this entire country's like import of like new citizens or residents. It's- yeah, this is super weird. So I didn't realize this until I, I was like, there must be like half a million people migrating to Portugal every year or something. I never really thought about it. And then I Googled, mm. it was only like 50,000 or something. And then I mm. realized, okay, if I do like some like 400 a month or 500 a month, that's almost like 6,000 a year. That's like... Uh, you know, over 10% yeah, or 10%, 10% or something. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wow, that's insane. I didn't know that. <laughs> and I was like, so nobody's moving to Portugal and now everybody's moving to Portugal <laughs> because this website is, and, it, and I do it from a laptop. I don't even, you know, I don't have an office. It's just, it, the whole thing is weird to me too. Yeah. It's like, it's nuts. I feel like the government should be like reaching out and talking to you. Yeah. But governments are so hard to talk to. I mean, you, it, imagine yeah. B2B enterprise sales, but times 10, it's like it's impossible to I tried. I tried talking to governments. They didn't even reply. So I, I'd give up. Like I'll just make my websites and they can email me if they want. But uh yeah, I'll just use the laws that they create to uh for my business. But yeah, there's some cool stories I heard. There's somebody who tweeted um or I saw it, I think. There's people from Venezuela now 
that are trying to get out of Venezuela because Venezuela is like a disaster now. And they're trying to move to Portugal and they're using rebase for it. And there's like four Venezuelans now uh, in the database that are using it to move to Portugal. So that's like that's like next level cool because you're helping people, you know, change their life to move to Europe. It's, yeah, it's yeah. cool. How does the product actually work? Like, I'm like, so I click the start now button. So you enter this form with all your legal data and stuff, income sources, I think. And so I essentially what it is, because I'm not a legal firm, it's like legally sensitive territory. You're, you cannot, like I'm not a lawyer, so I shouldn't uh, do law stuff, but I can resell, I can refer legal services. So I have lawyers that I refer you to that are good and they know how to deal with the types of people that I attract, like remote workers. And they help you through the process and I get a commission on the amount of money that you spend. And, um, but I'm not a legal firm. I just resell. And I think Stripe Atlas, like I talked to the Stripe Atlas, uh, head of product, I think, and he said they do something similar. Cause I, I was always thinking, ah, you must hire all these lawyers and stuff. And actually I don't think they do. They do kind of similar, but I think they do it nonprofit because they're just doing it to like Stripe wants to increase the like amount of businesses on the internet. Right. It's like the mission. Uh, but I think they operate in a similar way. You just resell to high quality lawyers that are, you know, trusted. And so it's it's a very strange. So at any point model. do you like collect payment? Like is there like a stripe like, you know, payment form yeah. on your website? After anywhere? the after like- yeah, after you fill out the form, there's a stripe checkout and uh, you pay and then there's a dashboard where I've used Stripe a lot. Like I, I use Stripe for KYC, so know your customer. Uh, so the moment you've paid, you get into the dashboard where you need to do KYC with Stripe Identity. So Stripe Identity is a service on Stripe where you can upload your passport. Uh, Stripe checks it for me, kind of, and then I don't need to see the password, so it stays safe at Stripe. But it tells me, okay, this password is verified, this person is real, and it's you know KYC, know your customer. And that also makes it legal for uh, the for the lawyers and stuff, SKYC. And so then you get the money and then the people who sign up basically, I guess you contact the lawyers on their behalf and then you pay the lawyers, but you keep your commission. Uh, yeah, so it's like um, I get the, I keep the commission and the, the lawyers uh, take the money that comes after. Uh, so it's it's quite a simple business model. I can change the business model maybe later where I, I take more of the commission from the lawyers, but I wanted to keep it like super simple and easy just to see if it would have worked, you know? And it works now, yeah. Right, yeah. And I bet you're making like a decent amount of money from this because it's like, okay, if you're getting 500 people a month signing up, you know, and these yeah. aren't like, this is not like a $5 a month to-do list app that you're selling to people. It's like, yeah. you know, over 200, it's, it's a it's a giant move people are making with their life. Like they're used yeah. to paying a lot of money for this kind of stuff. And so it's like hundreds of dollars, you know, that you're making per person yeah. who, who joins. I think right now it's something like 30, 40, 50K. The, the problem actually is that the there was too many... Um, like this lawyer was used to getting like, I don't know, like 50 customers a month. And suddenly I brought him like 400. Mm. So they, they were just <laughs> this huge bottleneck. So I needed to email these people like, okay, it's going to take a little bit longer because this, it's been going viral right. and too many people signed up. Uh, I closed the sign up for a few times as well. And now they've been hiring more people. They've been hiring five more people. Uh, who they need yeah. to train them now for the back office and stuff. So they're also growing now. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Also, since I guess the last time we talked, you hadn't even started Remote OK. So it's not like the biggest remote job in the world. So not only is like Rebase taking off, but like in the last four years, you have this other project that's now making, I think, millions of dollars and is like huge. And so like you just like keep having like hit after hit. And in between those hits, like a bunch of failures that nobody remembers, (laughs) but it doesn't matter. Uh, Let's talk about Remote OK, because it's all, I mean, it's kind of, it's all in the same vein, right? Nomad list or like, you know, your digital nomads, Remote OK, like get a remote job, you know, rebase, like relocate to to Portugal. Like you're sticking into your wheelhouse, but they're just different aspects of it and they become like these huge projects. So like, what's the story behind Remote OK? Yeah. So uh, I started it as, like I said before, like Nomad jobs, like I was, I built Nomad list first and then. After a few months, people were like, okay, is there uh, remote jobs we can do as nomads? And back then, remote jobs weren't even big yet. It wasn't like a big thing. And there was still a lot of stigma against remote work. This was like 2014, 2015. I remember Buffer was pushing remote work really hard. Uh, A few other companies, I think Automatic from WordPress were pushing it, yeah. And so those were the ones hiring Zapier too. But it wasn't a big thing at all. And... So I built this job board, uh, Nomad Jobs, and then I spun it off as Remote OK because 
I realized quickly, like I said before, that uh, most remote jobs are not for nomads. Most people are not nomads. That's like 95% of the uh, remote job market is not nomads. It's just normal people that are uh, want to work from home, for example. So um, I spun it off as Remote OK, and the first year it didn't even make money, I think. It was just, I was aggregating a lot of uh, jobs from non-remote job boards, because there was not really a lot of remote job boards except mine. But there was classic job boards which had remote jobs, and they would be located in remote Oregon. So remote is a city in Oregon or a village. So I would just yeah. take those jobs and then put them in <laughs> on my site. There was a real big problem back then. And this kind of started growing. I started charging like $1 for a job post. So companies started directly posting on my site as well. After a few years, like it made uh, okay money. But then when COVID happened, like everything changed. It was like, like if you look at the revenue chart, it's like on remoteok.com slash open. It's... um. It just goes up radically. Basically, 2020, it just took off as a trajectory change. And then the, also, like, 2021, like, around, like, March or April, just took off again. Like, a whole different yeah, trajectory. Yeah, now it's at, yeah. Like, and, and I didn't do much stuff. That's the weird thing. So, I think Sahil from Gumroad said, tweeted this once, that it's all about, like, the market. Like, you think you're doing it, but the market is doing it. And as long as you're in the market, you will benefit from the market. And... I think this is super true. Like suddenly remote work is, is mainstream now. Like, I mean, we were pushing for it for years. We were tweeting about it relentlessly. Like the remote work is the future and nobody believed us. And then suddenly just a worldwide pandemic and everything changes. It's insane. It's like, how do you predict <laughs> this? You cannot predict this. And and it, it's also it's also grim because it's a really bad thing, a pandemic. It's like a lot of people yeah. died. Millions of people died. Right. And, and it's good for your business. It's a very strange feeling. Yeah, it's strange. I've seen this so much on indie hackers where like, like most people that I interview have tech businesses. And like if any category of business did well during the pandemic, it was online tech businesses. And it is like this weird juxtaposition between like, well, it's hard not to be happy when your business is doing well, but it's also like, damn, you're <laughs> like happy that like essentially this like worldwide tragedy occurred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no one would yeah. like, you know, if we could all go back, like no one would want the pandemic to happen. Yeah, it's 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 not good and it's uh just like wars have changed society, right? Like society yeah. changes, I think, very slowly and then very radically, right? Like revolutions happen, like spikes. And yeah, it's cool that, it, that things change, but... Uh, right. Well, it's cool that you're so consistent with your projects because when things change, like, you know, there's some chance that some of your projects will be moving with the zeitgeist and some might not, but really all you need is one or two. And remote okay, like obviously remote work, like humongous now. It's like huge. I'm looking at the job board right now, and it's like you have like seemingly like hundreds <laughs> or thousands of posts on your job board. It's like got to be the. I mean, it's the number one remote job board, so you just beat out all the other remote job boards. Yeah, it just became the number one remote job board like this month. Uh, I mean, but again, I also don't know how I did that. It's just it just kind of happens. It's so hard to. How did you do that? <laughs> yeah. I have no, I have no clue. I think what I did recently helped. I. There was this whole trend of like, uh, I woke up, I drank coffee and I was browsing Reddit and it was this meme that went viral about a, like a South Park meme. Like, if you want me to apply for this job, then, you know, tell me what salary it is or something. I forgot the joke. I'm so bad at jokes. But it was like 50,000 upvotes. Like, people want job posts with salaries. So I was like, okay, this this is obviously, again, like a society thing. Like, everybody thinks the same about something. So this needs, this is a cultural moment. So... I started tweeting about this meme and I was like, okay, maybe I should just require companies to show salaries on the site, like not just optional because I had it on the site. It was optional. So I'm like, okay, let's just go to the, you know, to my code editor and make this input type text box required. And I check it with JavaScript if it's required, if it's filled in or not. And, and immediately I started getting the emails from the companies being angry. Like, um, of course, we don't want to share our salary and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, but come on. <laughs> and I was just fighting <laughs> with them over email. And meanwhile, I was tweeting about it as well. And uh, that it was really hard to do this because like big companies that pay like, you know, $20,000 for a, a job post bundle, like 10 jobs at the same time or more. And, uh, and they were trying to get out of not showing salaries. And then in, I think it was February uh, this year, Colorado, I think, the state of Colorado made it a law to require uh, salary job posting to show salaries. So I was like, okay, now it's not just my thing, it's actually a law. So I can say like, okay, if you hire remotely worldwide, Colorado is included, so you need to do this legally. And that helped a lot, like having it as a law. And then also I think in, in other countries and stuff, 
all the job seekers were more happy and and i think then also you started seeing more traffic because people want to see salaries when they apply for a job it's like in a way the uh like these things that the internet is like that you think would come with the internet like transparency okay you have so many people on the internet there's so much more competition ultimately things should get more transparent or like you know the sort of like like distribution of people geographically okay anybody can work from anywhere because of the internet so you should see people spread out and yet it's taken like 30 years to get to this point you know where we're starting to see some of these things happen it's i, th- I think the strangest part with remote work was that in i think 2014 there was entire san francisco tech like vcs and startup owners were fighting against remote work and it was weird for me because i was like this is the center of tech these people make the big internet companies which is the internet it's like a virtual concept and they cannot work remote they cannot accept that you can work from around the world that we have internet to just connect with each other like we do now and it's so weird i was yeah and so bizarre it's it's weird like how like uneven like the distribution of technology is too because i remember like 2000 four playing world of warcraft as like a 17 year old and like we were basically living in the future we were always on you know basically the discord of the time and we would be on team speak which would be like a giant like you know audio chat like clubhouse or something and it'd be like 40 people and they were distributed remote all over the world and they had different little jobs as part of like our guild and we'd be on every night like talking and that was like 2004 and <laughs> yeah like that was like a video game <laughs> you know and that wasn't just me that was like millions of people doing that you know and now it's like 15 16 years later people were sort of just catching on to this stuff i was in quake 2 clans we were already doing this we were already in the metaverse as well so yeah yeah it took a long long ass time and i'm looking at your, your graph for remote okay like even remote okay took a long time like okay the very beginning of your revenue graph is like 2015 and so i look, look at it today and it's like okay you're at like $1.4 million a year runway. Like that's huge. Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. job boards, like printing cash, but like, you know, for many years, <laughs> your revenue run rate was like, you know, $10,000, $20,000, 30. Like, yeah. Took- I mean, it was, it was, it was good, but I, I was, I was convinced it was going to kind of stay there. And for a while it stayed there. It was kind of like, yeah. you know, like this, I remember being feeling like kind of like mad about it in like 2016, 2017, because it was just, nothing was growing. It was kind of like going like this. And Nomadless was the same. It didn't didn't grow. And I was like, okay, this is it. I mean, just be happy. You know, you made it's still a lot of money. It was like, I guess like right. uh, 500k a year or something. So half a million a year was still a lot of money. But I was like, okay, maybe it's not gonna grow much more. And and then COVID. Yeah. You know. At the end of 2016, so I'll just read some of the numbers. At the end of 2016, uh, Remote OK was making thirty thousand dollars a year. At the end of 2017. So this is like three years in, you're making $82,000 a year. So now it's like a pretty, you know, like, okay salary. And then 2018, it grew quite a lot. It's making like $200,000 a year. And then at the end of 2019, right before the pandemic, it's making almost $300,000 a year. So like, it grew to like a pretty sizable amount. But like compared to the last couple of years, that's like, that almost looks like just like flat (laughs) on the graph. Like you can't even see it. It looks like no growth. And the first two years definitely look flat on the graph. You're putting so much effort into the site and like, it's kind of like, yeah, you're not seeing a lot of like, you know, reaction in terms of the revenue no. based on the effort you're putting in. And that's when people quit like the first couple of years where it's flat. Yes. They always quit the first five years. And the reason I didn't quit was because I was in music before I was in drum and bass, electronic music, and I quit after like five years. And then I remember the people that started at the same time as me, they continued and they went for like a whole decade, like for 10 years they became world famous. They became like in that scene, in the music scene, they became world famous DJs. And I, I, I gave up. So I gave up too fast, I think, with music. And I didn't want to do that again. So I'm like, I'm just going to do this for 10 years at least and see where it ends up. And I think it's a 10-year rule or something, like 10,000-hour rule, right? Like you need to do something for, for a very long time to uh, to get good at it. I think it's, 10 years is a it's a really long time, but it's a it's a good time to see if you can get something somewhere because you've done it over and over and over and over and over. And yeah, you really understand the the industry kind of after that time, I think. What do you think you understand about like launching these products and building startups that you sort of accrued from probably spending at least 10,000 hours on the, over the, on the stuff yeah. over the past decade? I think the biggest mistake that people make is that the only focus should be your user and the customer and how you make them happy. 
and it doesn't have to be like very special it has to do a basic function like really really well like nomad list tells you if you have specific preferences where to live like i want to live in a warm place in january in in europe okay it will tell you that exactly it's a very simple problem and it it solves that problem very very easily very fast and remote okay you know you say i need a remote php job okay you can find that really easily and this amount of salary and this company information blah blah and it's very simple but it it does everything that the user wants in what i think is the best way a user wants it and you see all these other websites they look too good they they have too many gradients and they have they're they're right. too aesthetically pleasing there's too much focus on all this stuff and i think that's like a red flag for me almost it should be function over form and like Joni Ive is a good example uh with apple right the apple designer where he made these macbooks the last five years like 2015 i think 2017 to 2020 he made the worst macbooks that existed because he hate chose form yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a good guy but he chose he chose form over function and now you see the new macbooks are function over form again like they have sd reader i know they they're awesome again it's Did amazing i one? just got it here yes i just have it here me too it's, it's awesome i I'm hated so my old macbook I've yeah. Me too. We and I we paid so much money for this this shit book, but now it's good. <laughs> I think that's the point. Like like function over form should be the key in business. Like mm. you need to solve this problem really easily, and that almost ma- again makes it more accessible for more people too. Because you don't need to be again a designer or a big developer. You need to solve something in a very basic way, but you need to solve it. And a lot of apps don't even solve something. They just look good, and they don't even. Right. I mean, a lot of them don't even have a problem they're solving in the first place. So. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with startups, even with like the bootstrappers now, there's like, there's kind of a scene, you know, like on Twitter or mm. if you're in Silicon Valley, like, you know, and it's like, I think it's really easy to get caught up in a scene. You're trying to impress the gatekeepers. You're yes. trying to impress your peers instead of like talking to your customers. Exactly. All right. We've talked about Nomad List, Remote OK, and Peter's other projects. There's still a ton that I want to talk to Peter about. And so listeners, this is a two-part episode. You can find the second part of this conversation in next week's episode.